Right, it's so good to be with you this morning. We're now in week 12 of a series we've been doing here on the names of God. There is just so much to who God is and to knowing him better. It's taken many, many weeks to explore all the various names he goes by in scripture. As Pastor Tom said today, the name we're going to look at is Jehovah Sabaoth. And when he said that, you may have wondered, what does that mean? I'll try to tell you. It's actually one of the more commonly used names for God in the Hebrew scriptures, and the traditional English translation is the Lord of Hosts, which has a really nice ring to it, kind of holy ring to it, but to the modern listener, it may not be immediately obvious what that means, Lord of Hosts. When I think host, I think you know, kind of a nice person like our, our greeters here who welcome you into the church, but it's, it's nothing like that. A host is uh, kind of an armed force, an army. It's a military term. Uh, it, the word sabah that this name is rooted in is used many times in the Old Testament, translated uh, an army or divisions, armed forces of some kind. And so Jehovah Sabaoth is the Lord over all these forces, the Lord of angel armies, you could say, but any kind of force in heaven and on earth. He's sovereign over all those things. The New International Version of the Bible, which we often use here and which I'll use today, translates this name, the Lord Almighty. So if you've got a, an NIV, any place you see the Lord Almighty, that's the name of God that it's referring to. And this kind of, you know, his almightiness has been alluded to in some of the other names we've looked at. This particular might of God has a, has a sort of oomph to it, that he is sovereign over all powers, all forces in heaven and on earth. So where do we see this name of God in Scripture? It appears about 300 times in the Old Testament. A few times in the narrative, the story of God's people, such as in the famous story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So on an earthly level, there's, just, there's soldiers lined up, there's a battle going on, David achieves a military victory, but bigger than that, it's God who's the true ruler, who's sovereign over all, who's revealing himself and, and magnifying himself in the sight of all these people. So that's one example, but the overwhelming majority of the time that this name of God is used in Scripture it appears in the prophets. The prophets, over 60 times in Isaiah, over 80 times in Jeremiah, over 50 times in Zechariah, and many other times in Amos, Malachi, Haggai, several others. Over 250 times in the prophets, God refers to himself as Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty. Why here? Well, Ron said something in his sermon last week I thought bears repeating. He said, when our focus is off of the Lord, he will use whatever is required to get us focused on him. And in the prophets, the Lord goes to some pretty severe lengths to get the focus, to recapture the focus of a people who've lost their way, who've lost their focus. Ron described a pattern of the people of God in the Bible continuously losing focus on God. And by the time the prophets rolled around, this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. The people of God continually losing sight of him, making him too small in their eyes, whether they uh, try to adopt the practices of the nations around them, or they try to 
worship the Lord but also worship idols at the same time, or they forget God altogether, or they take the name of God and do some outward acts of worship, kind of like do the church thing, but flagrantly disregard the commands of God and how they live the rest of their lives. This was go stuff was going on all the time in the Bible, and while the Lord is incredibly patient and forbearing and slow to anger, he doesn't put up with this stuff forever. He eventually speaks and acts more forcefully to get his people's attention. And in the prophets, he's doing that, getting a people's attention who aren't taking him seriously enough. And he's not saying, well, hey, it's me. It's more like, hey, it's me, the Lord Almighty, who's talking to you. Many times, the name Jehovah Sabaoth appears in phrases like, this is what the Lord Almighty says, or so declares the Lord Almighty, as he speaks truth, as he rebukes, as he pronounces judgment, saying, this is who I am. I am the one talking to you, the Lord Almighty. In Amos chapter 4, we're going to just look at a, a sampling of his use of this name, kind of rapid fire. It'll all be on the screen. In Amos 4, he says this, he who formed the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. It's like he's got to even reintroduce himself to his own people. This is my name. This is who I am. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, six he says, This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. This is the God who is speaking and acting. He's declaring things to be and making them happen. Earlier in Isaiah 14, he says this, The Lord Almighty has sworn, Surely, as I have planned, so it will be. And as I have purposed, so it will happen. He's speaking forcefully, and what he says goes in the prophets. And much of his plans and purposes that he declares and carries out in this setting are him going to whatever lengths are necessary to capture the attention of a people who've drifted from him. Going to great lengths, and many of this, much of this involves judgment against his people who've drifted for so long. In Isaiah 10, he says this, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Or in Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 3, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Mm. God is talking to his own people here, people who claim to know him, but who have too small a view of who he is and what he can do, and they are about to be astounded by what he does. His people are astounded not only by the severity of the disaster that comes upon them, but the manner in which God brings it about. See, many times God actually empowers pagan rulers and godless empires. He lifts them up and gives them power to have their way and execute judgment on his people. It looks like the enemies of God are winning, and God seems powerless. And God, so God's people are baffled by this. And at the same time, God's enemies, who already have no respect for him, have even less. They become arrogant and take delight in the demise of God's people. But the Lord Almighty eventually puts a stop to that as well. 
He works not only to use these godless people to execute judgment on his own, but he eventually gets their attention as well and reveals who he is to them. In Ezekiel 36, God says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. In Isaiah 2, he says, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. Everyone will be humbled before him, know who he is. Isaiah 28, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. This same Lord Almighty who decrees disaster and brings it about in Scripture also declares some beautiful promises through the prophets as well, and he brings those about. Most of these promises, they, they point forward and are fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ. One example is from Isaiah 9, which we read last week. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord Almighty, will accomplish this. This is just an overview a sampling of the words and actions of the Lord Almighty in Scripture, doing what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and unstoppable. This is who he is. This is our God, Jehovah Sabaoth. Now, in light of all that, I want to really focus in on a few ways this could pertain to us now, how we know what it looks like to know and to look to the Lord Almighty. First, I want to suggest that in the face of tumultuous times, we need to know that God is the Lord Almighty. To really know that in the midst of tumultuous times. This name appears in some psalms as well, including Psalm 46, which says this, Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The backdrop of the prophet's writing is largely chaos, it's tumult, it is wars, it's kingdoms rising and falling. It it are very difficult and confusing times for the people of God. But in the midst of it, he wants us to know this in verse 10. He says, be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Family, we have got to know the Lord Almighty to really know God in the midst of tumultuous times, which I think we're in. To have a proper respect for God and his greatness and a view of who he is in the midst of it. It's in the midst of tumultuous times, crazy times, People also tend to go crazy, trying to figure out what's going on. 
and, and say what they think and give opinions that are just really not with the full understanding in mind. And, and when we go crazy trying to understand what's happening in tumultuous times, we tend to do so without a full and right view of God. And when we do, it's driven largely out of fear and all sorts of paranoia. This is not a new thing. God said this to his people a long time ago through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8. He said, do not call a conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. 2,700-year-old words from God that are very relevant for his people today. God is the one we are to fear in the midst of tumultuous times. You know, it really is in the interest of every media outlet, no matter which way it leans, for us to be afraid. It's what keeps us watching. And now we've got social media of all kinds to disseminate, to fan it all into flame and to spread fear and paranoia like an infectious disease. Just this past week, I saw both liberal and conservative friends share articles in which they said something to the effect of, this should be frightening to every American. No, not to the Christians. Not to the Christians. The ones who supposedly know God. Yes, there are things we ought to be troubled by, aware of, concerned about, and grieved over, but the Lord is the one we are to fear and dread in these times. And it, we need to keep our eyes on him, like the song said. It's hard to see exactly where the Lord is in the midst of all this COVID madness, but I know where he's not. He is not helplessly waiting by on the sidelines, wondering, gosh, when can we get back to doing church the way we did before? But he is building, always building his church into who he wants it to be, forming his church right now, not helplessly standing by. And we have two parties now, both trying to whip us into a fearful frenzy, threatening us with certain doom if so-and-so is elected in November. And maybe some terrible things could happen. It's quite possible, I don't know. But I do know this, that on November 4th, the Lord God Almighty is not going to be saying, oh, shoot, what am I going to do now? My hands are tied, at least for four years. Nor will he be saying, oh, phew, thanks be to the voters of America, because now you let me do what I want to do in the world. He's the Lord God Almighty. He sees all of this from an eternal vantage point that none of us has, and he always has been, is, and always will be accomplishing what he wants. He will carry out has, is, and will carry out the purposes he has in mind for this earth and for his people, which is the church of all times and all nations. He will do it. He is the Lord God Almighty. We've got to have our eyes on him. He is the one to fear and to dread. And so that's one thing. In the face of tumultuous times, know that he is the Lord Almighty. <laughs> Secondly, in the face of evil, remember he is the Lord Almighty and that you are not. Amen. I want to open up to the Gospels now because uh, in all of these names of God, it's important to look to Jesus Christ where the character of God is most fully 
on display. And one place where he reveals himself as the Lord of hosts is on the night that Jesus was arrested. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 50, since then the men stepped forward. They seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Here we see Jesus, the Lord of hosts. He's got legions of angels at his disposal, the God of armies. And here he is being so awfully disrespected. What's happening here is so wrong on so many levels. This is God Almighty. He's been betrayed. He's being captured, arrested, falsely an innocent man. There's uh, religious powers that be colluding with pagan powers to wrongfully convict him and torture him. It, it's so wrong. You can maybe feel for this disciple who can't take it anymore. He can't stand for this, reaches for the sword. But Jesus says, put that away. For one, I can handle myself. Jesus can take these guys. The only reason they're left standing is because he allows them to. He doesn't need us to be vigilantes for Christ. It's not our job to cancel the enemies of God or to shout down fools by raising our voice even louder. Jesus says those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You know, I, I appreciate your concern for my honor in this situation, but in the face of battling wrong, don't get swept up in it yourself. Don't also act in an evil way or you'll die that way. And it must happen in this way, Jesus says. There is a way of Jesus, the way that we celebrated at this table this morning, the ultimate way in which Jesus confronted and conquered the ultimate enemies of his, sin, death, and the devil. It's not with weapons and violence, but with sacrificial love, costly grace, and faithful obedience to the Father. That is how we are to walk in the way of Jesus it's not a call to be passive or silent in the face of things that are obviously wrong, so wrong, and, and things that have us perhaps rightfully fed up. It's not a call to be passive or silent, but to engage in the manner in which Jesus does. Because it does no good to try to defend the honor of God in the world or to stand up for those humans who bear his image from the womb to the tomb or being grossly disrespected. It does no good to stand up for the honor of God, but to dishonor him in the process of how we do it. A really simple litmus test for you, if you're troubled, fed up by evil of one kind or another, you want to speak, you want to stand, a simple litmus test for your engagement is found in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the markers of a person operating out of the Spirit of God. 
You can't defend God's honor with hatred, violence, sarcasm, insults, outbursts, destruction, or labels. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Some of these things can appear perhaps on the surface as weakness, but I think they actually require immensely more strength than outbursts do. And these are the markers of a strong Christian life filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And incidentally, I'm not sure how we can expect people who don't have the fruit of the Spirit to exhibit fruit of the Spirit. They don't have it. So probably what they need right now is not our judgment, but they need the gospel so they can be empowered to live in the way of Jesus. In the face of evil, remember that he, Jesus, is the Lord Almighty, and you are not. Finally, I want to say in the face of waiting, trust in the Lord Almighty. As we live in the way of Jesus and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, evil continues to go on, to multiply. All kinds of things continue to go wrong, and, and, and we wait. We wait for the day when God will make it right. It can be hard to be patient for God to set everything right. We're waiting for a lot of things these days in the short term. Like when, you know, when can we give each other hugs in church? When is school going to be open? When? When is it going to happen? But in much larger things too, like how much longer is God going to be so disrespected in the public sphere? How much longer are all manners of violence going to go on without being brought to justice? How long, Lord? And you know, how long is a really biblical prayer? Go ahead and pray it to God. He loves that. How long? He generally, though, doesn't answer it with a time frame, but with a promise that, well, not forever. Not forever. The Lord Almighty has got this in his hands, and he is going to put an end to every form of wickedness at one time or another, but he is patient, forbearing, slow to anger. It can be easy to mistake God's patience for passivity or silence or inaction. But it's really not that. I want to open up to Second Peter chapter 3. People have been wondering for a long time, when is, when is the waiting going to come to an end? When is Jesus going to finally come and vanquish everything that's wrong and make everything right? People were wondering that when Peter wrote this letter. People were wondering, how long is it going to take? When is this coming that's promised? And Peter says this in chapter 3. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. That's both a promise and a warning. Every secret act of rebellion against God and injustice against his people, it will all be laid bare. Take it as a promise as you wait. Take it as a warning as you're tempted to be impatient. And then jumping down, so then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
Wait for the Lord. Trust in Him. Live a godly life that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to circle back and close again with Psalm 46. In the midst of everything going on, the tumult, the evil, the impatience and the waiting that we're all going through, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We've got to know this. We've got to know who God is. We've got to keep our eyes on him. A prerequisite here for this kind of knowing is be still. And, and all of the noise coming at you from every which way, make it a practice. Find the space, find the time to shut off the noise. Power down the screens. Be still. Look to the Lord God Almighty. Know him. Trust in him. Remember him. Look to him. And live his way until he comes again. Lord, we thank you for who you are in these days. We're so tempted to panic. We're so tempted to latch on to anything that gives us a comfort or an answer. And we confess the things we're afraid of right now. Many of us are afraid of a lot of different things, both from within and from without. We're, and we're being told to be afraid of a lot of things, told to dread, told to despair, and told to take things into our own hands to make it all right. But we open our hands before you. We ask that you would magnify yourself in our sight, that we could see you for all the glory of who you are, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. Forgive us for making you too small in our eyes. Exalt yourself, glorify yourself, and do whatever it takes to keep our eyes on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.